0: me, Ben Taylor,
1: is Mr. Catter. Can you introduce
0: yourself? Hello, uh, I'm Alistair Scott. Um, three things about me today. Uh, I run a couple of pub restaurants myself. Um, I am a beer sommelier and I have uh, a labour system called S4, which I'll talk about
2: later. Thank you. And sitting next to Alistair is Gem. I'm Gemma, my um, recent... Merchandising,
1: and, that's my and then there's me. Um, my name's Ben. I've worked with Matthew Clark for four years now. But prior to that, I worked in the um, industry for 15, six, 17 years now. And we're getting old. So what we're talking about today, we're talking about adding value to your drink offer, to increase margins, allowing you to increase your margins, to differentiate your business, to drive sales and improve advocacy. So moving on, trading environment. I don't need to tell you that it's uh, it's tough out there. It's quite tricky not being helped by supermarkets in the off trade who are having this price war at the moment. And drinks being quite brand led is often an area they use to try and get one up on their competitors. And we in the on trade are almost caught in between that. you have got spirit brands, wine brands, champagne brands being used by the supermarkets, as I said, to differentiate themselves. And on the on trade, we really struggle to keep up with price, which is why we encourage our outlets to Avoid trying to compete on price and try and add additional value to differentiate themselves from what the off-trade are doing. Your supplier really should be in addition to try to help you differentiate yourself from your competitors and add value like we talked about by creating of experiences. What we're going to try and do is give our consumers something that they can't get at home and a reason to use our outlets. One of the most important aspects of, I guess, the on-trade versus the off-trade is the the people interaction. One thing that the the supermarkets can't do, is, or they don't necessarily have, is that that point of contact, that human interaction. So it's important to train your staff, get your your staff in a position where they're inspiring confidence within your consumers and amongst each other as well. Um, Your suppliers should be able to provide you with this training because of what's happening in the economy at the moment we've got some uh, fantastic pool of talent coming into hospitality who might not necessarily have found themselves in uh, another time so if we can make the very best of this we might be able to retain some of that talent and drive them up through the chain Alistair moving on to service thank
0: you Um, just talk uh, quickly about S4 Um, Ben's talked a little bit about people, and people clearly are the essential bit of our business. Um, And we all want to deliver fantastic service. What I want to show you is actually how, in the end, if you don't get the right number of staff on, you can't deliver the best service, whether you have too many or too few. We've all seen seen the two-minute chat. Um, When people have got spare time, um, they have a two-minute chat. Typically, my estimate it lasts about twenty minutes, uh, not two minutes. Um, there's an old adage, uh, which is if you want a job done, give it to a busy person. Um, and um, the truth is that uh, as the business slows down, the people slow down. The people who are bored become boring. I did uh, I did a survey about five years ago of. Um, service speed in the industry. I put in very, very complex IT systems that measured every movement in a business. And what it proved was that the worst service in the industry was not when we all think on a Friday or Saturday night or Sunday lunch, it was actually on a Tuesday afternoon and a Wednesday afternoon when we were the most overstaffed. So not only are you spending the most money on staff, you're also delivering the worst service. But equally on the other side of it, the stress team member, is is a disaster. They snap at customers, they're short, they can't do what you want them to do, they can't talk about the products and the services and demonstrate their fantastic knowledge and skill and brilliant hospitality skills, because they're rushing from one customer to the next. Back to Beth, thank you very much. Okay, so we've talked about deliver service,
1: libot training. Um we've got to uh, spend too long on pricing, but I think it's important to talk about it. Um, we know cash is king. Um, at the moment, making sure the cash flows there is incredibly important. But we also know that there's a huge trend, a cross-category trend, which is uh, premiumization. People are trading into a better quality products and wines and spirits and beers because they're finding better value there. In order to, I guess, utilize this best within your own outlets, I think it's the old adage, cash versus uh, percentage margin. Obviously, we need those percentage margin products, which are getting used to 65, 70%. We want to get to, but to try and achieve that on more premium products is probably difficult to do. The products are more likely to sit on your back bar for a long period of time, slows down regenerating that cash back into bank. So, if you can price the premium products across the categories in a more sensible fashion consumers are more likely to purchase them they're going to get a better quality product have a better experience and become advocates for your outlets. Create an experience also which the customers happy to pay for and don't be shy about charging for that experience. Because Waitrose if you look at the supermarkets, Audi Waitrose are the only supermarkets in the road at the moment. So people have got a bit more money in their pockets they're looking to have that experience and if we can do that we'll like to keep them in the entree.
2: I don't want to sell yourself. Okay, so as I mentioned, I've been working on a merchandising package for our um, customers, so those guys can go out and help um, retailers get the best out of their back bar and within their outlet. So we you all know that Tesco's have that eye-level, is a buy-level. You go walk in, you see Cadbury's on the shelf, they pay to be there rather than on the bottom. Um, It's just as fundamental within behind people's back bars as well. We should encourage people to trade up by placing premium products in the right place where people's eyes fall when they walk into a bar. Um, It's key. Everything that a customer sees when they're looking at the outside of your outlet right into the bar is a quality cue that's going to help them or help you drive higher percentage margin on our 73 premium products and also... um, increase in dwell time, getting people to stay for one more drink. If they enjoy the experience and if they get the right visual cues, they're going to make um, better drink choices for you. Hotspots as well, you all know, people walk from car to bar. Um, what they're looking at is, um, whilst they're on the way to the bar, is making the choice of the product. Um, so 60% of consumers haven't made the decision when they get to the bar. So there's a real opportunity for you to use the right point of sale, the right product, um, and the right positions to really drive those sales. And a quick... A quick switch for me, um, but
0: uh, apologies that I didn't change hats. Um, I was, was uh, about a year ago, one of the first UK beer sommeliers. I am uh, a beer anorak. Uh, I uh, absolutely, absolutely love this stuff. Um, and uh, for those of you who think, well, beer's not for me, um, one of my favourites, uh, which I kind of do about once a quarter, is a uh, a beer and food matching dinner at Gavroche, um where certainly Michel Roux himself uh, is is uh, a great fan, a great fan of it, and would openly admit that uh, beer and food go together better than wine and food in some instances. I still kind of quite likely of red wine with my steak, but as I'll come on to, I think there are other things where beer might work, might work a touch better. I just give you a couple of kind of my. Absolute favourites uh, in uh, beer and food matching. Um, both beers stopped by Matthew Clark. Um, the uh, the first is Vedette White, uh, a magnificent uh, Belgian beer, and amazingly, this goes fantastically well with uh, with hummus. So. Uh, just lovely, but but the great thing about beer and food matching is is the interest it creates. And I don't think you actually have to be brilliant. It's not one of those ones where you kind of go, do I have to be a bit sommelier to do it? You absolutely don't. Just play around, get people to comment, get people interested, and get people to enjoy it. And they go, I really like this one and this one, and I don't like this one and this one. And it doesn't matter. Beer in the end, has a as I call it, has a flavour profile, probably all the way from champagne to coffee. So actually you can pick a lot of different flavour profiles. and go for the one go for the one that's that's interesting. This one is amazing. Sea tuna, nice spicy outside. Um the uh the Leafman's fruit test, also stopped by Matthew Clark, um, comes to the rescue of um of the pepper tuna. You have the pepper tuna, it just attacks you and hits you, and then some lovely cherry beer um just uh, just breaks it down and calls you off. Absolutely fantastic. And typically, if you've got girls who go, I don't drink beer, and you give them a glass of this, they kind of go, yeah, I like that stuff, actually. It's all right, it might be their routine, but they'll enjoy it. I wanted just to kind of um, finish for my little bit, really, on uh, who do we want to appeal to. All the time, my argument is, yes at the bottom you've got the everyday drinker who wants a good pint that might be why you have your draft range but bottles last a year you can have a lot of them on they make good theatre so why not stock a fantastically interest interesting range my point simply is range matters it matters because in the end every customer matters and if we can find a nice easy way to attract the next customer then I don't see why we shouldn't we shouldn't do it Thank you very much.
1: So, that's beers and some, some ideas, I guess, how to take your beer range, beer off to the next level. And now, we want to spirits. So, premarisation, again, within spirits, as in beers and soft drinks, is, is something that's really happening. Um, more so in gin and whiskey. Uh, gin standard products are actually in decline at the moment, whereas the premium products are in growth just less than 10% year on year. Um, Sort of come through the ranks of the sours and the tequilas, and they're looking for uh, a, grow, a more grown up product. They're not quite ready for uh, a Scotch whiskey potentially, and they're finding solace in bourbon. So, the bourbon range is somewhere to, to really concentrate on. And once you've got those range available, how do you sell those ranges? Some fantastic glassware supplied by people like Bombay, and I'm not sure if you've seen the Tanqueray goblets. Um, your supplier should be able to help you get hold of some of those. Um, Developing your own signature serves as well. We all watch tenders We've all watched seen the uh, uh, extenders G and T come across the bar, served in a wine glass with no ice and a slice of slice of lemon. It's not something I'd pay an extra 50p for. But uh, we all have a great gin and tonic with plenty of ice, a nice bit of lime. Just concentrate to make sure you get the, the easy things right: the gin and tonics, the vodka tonics, um, and then from there into cocktails and cocktails go sort of hand in hand with training um, cocktails are easy to get very easy to get wrong so it's important that if you're deciding to go down the route of cocktails you're working with your suppliers and the brand owners you've got on your bar to help that product that you deliver to your own consumer to be as, as good as it possibly can be how are those products displayed in the menu as well the consumer so hungry for knowledge within wines within spirits they want to know more about the product and the problems of the, the products they're drinking and i think we've got to help the consumers understand that where a scotch whiskey comes from will have an impact on the flavor and show them the flavor map so an island has certain flavor characteristics a whiskey from another region will, will show other things if we can educate consumers they can take that knowledge away they'll thank you for it and increase the, improve the experience they have around their as well
2: so soft drinks perhaps have been traditionally one of them have gotten less sort of in the summer, but um, looking at trends these days, people are moving towards um, becoming more healthy in the UK where as a, as a nation perhaps we're drinking less, people don't go out at lunchtime anymore and have a couple of pints and go back to the office, it's more about that kind of Soft drink, but people are looking for the quality soft drink that they can have a taste profile for, not just the sugary, uh, sweet because that traditionally it may have been. Um, so, drink driving is also zero tolerance, and people aren't risking going out and having one drink and driving. So they're still looking to go out, but perhaps they're not wanting to have the one alcoholic drink. They look for for the soft drinks range within the outlets, um, and also. Um, Suppliers now coming out of the normal range. A couple of years ago, they've just been a limited soft drinks range, but we're now seeing more trends towards the premium soft drinks with more flavour profile. Um, looking at food matching, for example, Fendigo's now having their website food matching. Some of their um, spicier um, soft drinks go around with Asian food, so there's recommendations um, that can be included on the lists as well. Beers and wines get matched with food, or soft drinks are now moving perhaps towards that as well. Perfect serve is also important for the soft drinks, the ice, the fruit, the perfect glass matches with beer, goes with wine, so it should also be considered when the fruit soft drinks. Okay, so done. beers, soft
1: drink, spirits onto wine and champagne now. Um, again, there's some really, really obvious areas and some not so obvious ones. We really wanna as a supplier we really try and work with our customers to try and uh, get away from that default purchase again I think the UK consumer is certainly getting a bit more knowledgeable but they, they're going up for more knowledge, knowledge. and if, if they're not helped they'll often default to a, to a certain place on the wine list They'll be number one or number two make a price based decision which doesn't necessarily generate the margins that we would like to generate for you guys and give the consumer an experience that's probably not quite what they're looking for just, it does the job rather than really adding to the, the time that they're having. A good supplier should be able to help you pull, not only pull together a wine list, but present the wine list in a way which avoids that default purchase. There's certain tricks you can use, highlighting certain um, wines on the list, subtly doing it with boxes around it, and that has been proven. The evidence shows that encourage consumers to purchase that product. Obviously coupled with the training, the, a better staff knowledge, Consumer tastings increase that increase that knowledge base within your own within your consumer base to help them make the right decisions. Service um, people are starting there's a whole uh, a trend around the casual dining thing and people are avoiding going through the, the more traditional ways of serving wine doing the ladies first going the right around the table. But we find that people like that sort of thing, especially if they're spending a decent amount of money on wine, and you can do it in an informal way to make it more accessible without sounding posh or without being, putting your customer off being too formal. It's about how you go about and do it. Food matching also. There's been a lot of work done over the last few years with the discovery of umami, the, the sort of savoury flavour, that you don't necessarily have to put the red wines with the big red meats and the white wines with fish anymore. But the wine that you drink will have an impact on the, the taste of the food, but it doesn't mean there's, there's laws around that. It will take it in a way which the customer might enjoy if you go less traditionally. Promotions. Uh, the wine and intelligence survey I think showed that over 60% of customers will be influenced on making a purchase decision on the back of that wine being that particular wine being on promotion. And your suppliers should be able to help you find a product that fits with what the market wants using insight. So we know South Africa's in growth at the moment as a as a country that's producing wine. Consumers want South African grape. Um, and provide you with the POS to help get that customer, get that particular product in front of a customer, whether it be on your back bar, whether it be table talkers, or whether it be just to provide the training for your staff that they know what to ask at the right time to get that product to your customer, for soft sell.
0: The point about the hospitality industry is, first and foremost, we're a, we're a people business. You know We've got to care about our people, we've got to care about the impact on other people. Um, and, that's, and that's really important. But if you follow that through, you kind of go then it's service that matters, it's skills that matter and it's knowledge that matter and that actually translates into the customer experience and those are the things that all matter and hopefully uh, in, this, in this half hour we've given you uh, a few ideas that you can take away uh, and will make a difference to your business. Okay, fantastic, well, well done. Thank you very much guys. Thank you very much. If you want to chat afterwards then please feel free.